0: Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Um, We're super glad that you are here this morning. In 1991, a group of eight people led by a Harvard graduate named John P. Allen set out to change the world as we know it. In the middle of desert, um, just south of Phoenix, an experiment began. It was called the Biosphere 2. They called it that because the Biosphere 1 was Earth. And, hope, and the hope was that this group could create an environment for all of life and maybe one day colonize space. I think we've got some pictures for you we'll throw on the screen. But for two years, they committed to two years, this group of eight would plant their own food while taking care of animals in a self-sustainable dome hoping that they could control life itself. Basically, they wanted to be God, but, um, you know, not in like an evil sense that anyone's aware of, but probably just in the name of ingenuity. Um, you've most likely never heard anything about this project. If you're intrigued or you have heard about it, there's a Hulu documentary on it. Um, you can go watch it there. But if you've never heard anything about it, it's probably because it went terrible. It was horribly bad. Most of scientists, when they talk about it, they call it a colossal failure. Um, there was infighting amongst the team. There was not enough oxygen paired with too much carbon dioxide, which caused people to go a little bit insane, as it does, and it even took them two weeks to grow enough coffee to make a single cup, so all the parents in the room can attest, lack of caffeine kills, you know? One (laughs) cup of coffee among eight people for um, a whole week, Um, but however, they did learn a few things, Um, and one thing in particular stood out to me. They managed to grow trees pretty quickly in the atmosphere they created. But what baffled them was this. As the trees continued to grow tall and they seemed to be healthy, they actually turned out to be quite brittle and would snap before maturation. It was at that moment that they realized something's missing, right? This isn't how trees are supposed to grow. Something's missing. And it turns out that thing was wind, Um, the resistance that trees face from wind as they sway is one of the main causes for them to be healthy, strong, and rooted deeply. And I think we all realize if we slow down enough and we take inventory of our lives, there's often a gap between what we believe and what we know to be true. It feels like there's something missing in our lives. We believe all the things that made us say yes to Jesus, but we're wondering if we missed a step along the way, something that would make us strong or healthy or rooted deeply. Doubt creeps in, more questions pop up. So no matter where you find yourself today in your faith journey, whether you're tenured or you've yet to begin, at some point, we often reach a place where we wonder, am I missing something? Is this what I signed up for? Maybe for you, it's simple. If I asked you what was missing in your life, you could give me a list. Maybe it would look like a list to Santa. It would say things like, oh, I just need some new clothes from Lululemon. Or if I had this driver, I could hit the ball way farther. You know? Maybe it was something you um, saw while you were doom scrolling on your social media of choice Uh, Maybe it's a diet plan that would actually work or maybe just the hope that God would come down and zap five to 10 pounds off of you. For me personally, if I had to make a list, I would just try to convince my wife that I do need a motorcycle. Um, She says no, but we're still hoping, right? We're all waiting for something, something that would make us feel like we were farther ahead than where we are now. But I think if we paused long enough, If we inventoried our lives, if we sat in the stillness and solitude of life, as terrifying as that is, we'd start to ask questions that maybe they keep us up at night. Questions like, am I good enough? Would anyone care if I wasn't here anymore? Things more life-altering, like, why do I feel so alone? Will I ever get out of this debt? Will I ever feel peace in my family after years of broken trust? Maybe it's simply that your kids would listen better. Or the hope that somebody would notice you and give you a chance. Maybe it's the courage to make it through the day, just another day, without giving up. It always feels like if we just had one more thing, our lives would change and it would be enough. It would be our big break. It would be the last hurdle that we got to jump over before we finally felt freedom. But in the end, no matter what we get, it always feels like something's missing. Or maybe it's just me. But I wonder if we're looking for the wind in the wrong places. I wonder if we're looking for the things that would actually strengthen us in the wrong place. Or if more accurately, I wonder if we're building our lives inside of a dome where wind's not allowed. This conversation uh, that we're having today probably isn't for um, some super saint with crazy faith and unwavering optimism that everything's gonna be okay all the time. And you may miss out um, if your hope for the future is to just fake it till you make it. Uh, Maybe I'm actually up here preaching myself and accidentally invited a couple hundred people to my private therapy session. (laughs) But truthfully, I think I've met enough people and you have to counsel enough people, sat in silence with enough people that many many of us feel like something's missing in our lives. And that if the height of our existence is the busyness of the holiday season, or a beach vacation in June, a, a long weekend full of distraction, or even just lolling through each Tuesday wondering if they'll ever stop coming, I think if this is all that Jesus has to offer us, then something's missing. And so my question is for us today: Is there something in? Is there? Oh, is there something in the life? There we go. Quick pause. Is there something in the life of Jesus that speaks to our unwavering longing? The depths of our soul that we desperately try to hide. Our ability to move through life so quickly that we can just ignore the blinking lights on the dashboard. We can just ignore our problems along the way. And the answer to that question, I believe, is yes. There is someone who spent years with Jesus, walking with him daily daily and yet at the same time hit a point where he felt jaded towards this life and needed to be reminded of who Jesus really is, what Jesus really has for us. If you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn to John chapter 20. I always tell the students, if you're going to pull out your phone, you can, there's a little nice little do not disturb function. Don't want you, anyone distracted. We can John chapter 20. To give you a little backstory. we drop into the middle of the end of the story. Um, Jesus' life here on earth. Almost the story after the story if you think about it. And to set the scene, it feels like the day at work after a week off. Maybe for some of you that's tomorrow. Or a cold day in January of putting up our Christmas decorations. To put it lightly, it feels confusing, mundane. We've seen Jesus has been unfairly tried and hung on a tree and left for dead and then buried in a tomb. But he's also been resurrected and defeated death. It is appearing to his followers, his friends, or as he calls them a few verses before our passage, his brothers. Emotions are spread across the charts, perplexed, weeping alike. It's late on a Sunday evening and everyone is there experiencing what seemed to be possible a few moments before. A risen Jesus after they saw him die. Everyone is in the room except for one guy whose name was Thomas. John 20, verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed him his hands and he showed him his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And now Thomas, who was also called the twin, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my fingers where the nails were and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, the original 12 that he called. Judas is out of the picture at this point. And maybe you've heard his more common nickname, right, Doubting Thomas. I feel like that's how they told it to us in Sunday school. The disciple that didn't believe, right, Doubting Thomas. But that doesn't really seem fair to me, right, to reduce someone down to one moment of their entire life. This is a man who gave up everything to follow Jesus. He risked it all to follow around a poor guy who claimed to be God and got in trouble with the law, and it got him killed. He was a man who saw miracle after miracle, healing after healing. He was left astounded. He was a man who faced rejection, persecution, and disgrace from his friends and his family. A man who just earlier in this very week that we're talking about, proclaimed loudly that if his rabbi or teacher is going to die, that he is going to die with him. Thomas wasn't a cynic or a skeptic. Thomas put every single chip he had on a man to make, that he wanted to make king. A man he wanted to see sitting on a throne. A man whose regime he wanted to see ushered in. But instead he saw him die, buried in a tomb. Thomas was no doubter, he was a realist. He was too close to Jesus to be a critic. This was far more personal. It hurt. And so he called it like he saw it. And he put words to an emotion you've felt if you've walked this life any amount of time. Disappointment. Expectations that were unmet. He had different hopes and plans and they didn't happen. So he says, here I am, Lord. I'm not hiding. If you want me, come and get me. I want to see it for myself. And honestly, I get it. Maybe it's just me. But I feel like I've lived in a gap between what I believe and what I see before. I felt the internal sadness of getting your hope hopes up just to be met with emptiness. I know what it's like to search for truth and find more questions. And while I've never experienced someone dying on a Friday, then coming back to life and resurrecting on the third day, I do know what it's like to step out in faith and just hope that Jesus was going to meet you there. That God would meet you on the other side. And maybe that's your story too, but I think if we're all really honest, more often than not, I know what it's like to dig my heels in and say, come and find me, Lord. I'm not hiding. I want you to come to me. And that's what Thomas did. He dug his heels in like many of us do. He got comfortable. He said, I'm not going any further until I see it for myself. So let's keep reading verse 26 says a week later the ESV records it as eight days his disciples were in the house again and this time Thomas was with them and though the doors were locked Jesus came and stood among them and again he said peace be with you then he said to Thomas put your fingers here see my hands reach out your hands put it to my side Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said back, because you've seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. I've got two thoughts on where Thomas went wrong and on maybe where we could go right if we wanted to fill in these gaps. The first place where he missed, where I think God wanted to give him wind that looked like strength, was community. See, Thomas had it all figured out, right? He'd kind of gotten in on the ground level of this startup called the Kingdom of Heaven, and he thought, sweet, sure it comes with some risk, but it's evident that God is in this thing. He made new friends, he shared a common life, he impacted the community, fed thousands, saw things people would barely believe. He shared things with anyone who would listen about this new regime of what God was doing. But all that equation blew up. It imploded when he saw the Lord laying in the grave. When he realized something was missing, there's a gap between what he believed and what he saw, he withdrew. In his confusion, hurting, and brokenness, he chose isolation, all to fight a battle seeming impossible to win on your own. There's a pastor named Tyler Staten in New York, and he offers some words about Thomas. He says this, maybe you've asked yourself the obvious question. So if Thomas was one of Jesus' disciples, why didn't he encounter the resurrected Jesus when Jesus suddenly appeared in the upper room? And that's what real existential doubt does to us. It makes the community of belief nearly intolerable. Often the first symptom of doubt is isolation. And like Thomas, we too can deal with a black and white world, but we can't deal with a community of people trying to talk to each other into seeing color. In times of doubt, the human instinct is to withdraw into isolation. And that's what Thomas did. He hurt himself. He said, I'm just going to be alone. It's our nature, even our instinct, to draw away and put up walls in times of confusion and faith. Again, if we're honest, many of us have been there. But the alternative that Jesus offers us is the community where we can find our inner healing Right before Jesus went to the cross, he dealt with his spiritually darkest hour. And Jesus handled it a little bit differently. Just moments before Jesus asked God to take this cup from him. If, if it was all possible, I don't want to go to the cross. We see this recorded in scripture, Mark 14, through 34. Jesus took with him. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and began to be gratefully distressed and troubled. And Jesus said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Another biography about Jesus's life, one of the gospels says that Jesus was so anxious to the point of sweating blood. Jesus, even in his deepest trial and battle with his flesh, knew the power of community. He knew the things that God has for us. And he offers us the same thing in our doubt and in our pain. Then um, Thomas's friends show up. They run to find him. They're good friends. They've been on a long journey together. They go and seek him out. He's distraught, confused, trying to piece together his life. And they show up and they say, we've seen the Lord. And to be clear, these were people that were more holy than him. It wasn't as if they hadn't seen Jesus either and they had this crazy faith that Jesus was alive. They had seen the same crucifixion and the funeral as Thomas. The other 10 disciples just happened to be in the right place at the right time all together, when Jesus showed up. Second place I think Thomas messed up was actually caused by the first. He removed himself from a community that would want to establish grace in his life. And I think about Jesus' response to all of this, Now it was eight days later, which I'm sure felt like an eternity, if you've ever walked through suffering. Eight days later. John twenty twenty seven through 29 says this. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it to my side, stop doubting and believe. And again, Thomas said to him, we read it before, my Lord and my God, and then Jesus said, because you've seen me, you've believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus met him, the prodigal brother, if you will, with grace. He met him where he was at. And this is what Jesus has called us to do as believers, to live in communities filled with grace. Welcoming in the doubting, the lost, the broken, the wondering. Jeremiah twenty nine says twenty nine thirteen says this. this is God speaking to His people, and He said, "You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all of your heart. I'm not hiding. If you look for Me, you'll find Me." And I think about this. Thomas wasn't rebuked or forgotten because of his searching. He hadn't come up with a question that God couldn't answer. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He showed up to answer his questions. He meets us in our doubts. And he tells us, touch my scars. Feel the wound in my side. He did it for us. And it's his will that none of us would be apart from him. And he's called us to do the same for others. My encouragement is this. Don't miss out on the grace of and community that Jesus has for you because of the hurt and confusion in your life. There's only one way to fill the void of something missing. Ecclesiastes talked about, I searched for everything under the sun but found nothing. And you would think after all the searching humanity has done to fill the gap of something missing, we would find a way to fill our void. But in all the gaps, I've truly learned one thing. And many of you can attest to this. In all our waiting, what we need is friends that point us to Jesus and to reach out and touch his scars, to know what he's done for us. And my hope is that you would find that here in this community that we call home, but also at the community of Christ that meets across the globe. Because I believe when you make Jesus the answer to your problems, he's going to come and be your solution. Again, Thomas wasn't rebuked for wondering But while he was waiting to see his promise fulfilled, he took a step towards what Jesus had to offer. While he was waiting to see his promise fulfilled, he took a step to what Jesus had to offer. How can you and I take that same step towards him today? What did Jesus practice and model for us that we can take a step closer to him in? What's your missing wind that keeps you and I from growing strong I wrote down some of the things that Jesus had woven into his life, and I wonder about the impact that they have on our own. You'll see them on the screen. The verbiage surrounding these things that you'll read on the screen that Jesus did is usually described as spiritual disciplines or practices. That sounds a little weighty sometimes, but to make it simple, they're spiritual because they connect us to God, and Jesus did them. And they're disciplines or practices because they don't come natural to us. These are things we work on as we walk in. These are not things we protect, I mean, perfect as we walk. These are things we practice so that we can know God. I'd like to speak a quick word about each of them. Could these be our missing wind? Solitude. This is actually what we've been talking about, GU for the past three weeks, um, and it's defined best as intentional time in the quiet with ourselves and God. Some of us, the only time we lie awake. Um, awake at night, right? Like we like that's the only time we get time by ourselves in the solitude, in the quiet. But God, uh, Jesus often withdrew to sit in silence and solitude, away from people. This is something He practiced, and I know it's terrifying because it's like, what's going to come up if I'm alone with my thoughts? It's something many of us face, but that's where God wants to meet us. Prayer, uh, Jesus. Practiced and modeled prayer. He even taught his disciples how to pray. One theologian said this, though. Oftentimes we don't pray. We never move past worrying in God's general direction. Are we connecting with God and communicating with Him or worrying in His general direction? Community, we've talked about this a little bit. God's plan for us was community, and He gave us a plan of what that should look like. And it's not fake niceties. Or just politeness, which oftentimes we live in in the South. It's shouldering each other's burdens and committing to each other no matter what. Not taking offense, but equipping each other towards the call that God has on each one of our lives. Generosity, being a good steward of what God has given us. Michael Youssef says it like this He says, Everything that God created gives, from the sun and its heat to plants and their oxygen to his people. If you were made by God, you are called to give what you have. We're called to witness. Many of us, could this be our... It feels like witnessing is is, uh, something we don't do anymore. It's almost like you're not allowed to in the day and age we live in. But I heard somebody tell me one time... Oftentimes our faith dies because we never tell anyone about it. So the question is, when are we going to take hold of what Jesus called us to? The the, the last thing he said to his followers before he went back to heaven, right? The Great Commission. Go and tell. Go and tell. Sabbath. That one got laughter in the first service. I mean, what a way to be countercultural, right? To take a break from everyday life. The number one way I think you can wage against culture today is intentionally rest. It's a busy season for all of us. Maybe that looks different in your season. I've got a little baby who's 11 months old, so I'm not sleeping in, (laughs) you know? But we all can find time to intentionally rest. The list goes on. Fasting. I'll leave that one there. We'll talk about that one later. We'll do our 21 days in January. Intercession. Bearing each other's burdens. And the reading of scripture, connecting with God through his word, maybe these things that Jesus wove into his life are the winds that kept him strong from being brittle and broken by the things of this world. Just like the wind for the trees, it's often the unseen things, the things God provide that help us stand tall and become rooted deep. This is how we do it. This is, the, this is the life he modeled and laid out for us. And I want to say one last thing. Verse 29, we read it a couple times, but it said this. Jesus said, you've saw and you've believed, but blessed are the ones who believed and haven't seen yet. That's my paraphrase. Blessed are the ones who believed and haven't seen yet. And you wonder who that's for based off the story we just read, Right? Because at that point Thomas had seen and it didn't feel like Jesus was rebuking Thomas. And you know he wasn't talking about the other disciples, right? Because they had also seen Jesus. And so why did he say blessed are the ones who believe but haven't seen yet? And I think that's in there for you and I. Because I know there's people in this room that are believing God for something and they've yet to see it. And I just want you to say, From the mouth of Jesus, blessed are you for continuing to hope in faith and trusting that he will provide. Because he's where we get our hope. I want to offer two prayers for you guys, if you'll bow your heads. The first one is this. Some of us in this room haven't said yes to Jesus for the first time. I get it. I said it earlier, but I know what it's like to search for truth and find more questions. But just as we saw in this passage, Jesus is willing to show up and answer them. He's willing to meet us in our doubts, confusion, questions. If If that's you this morning and you want to take your first step towards saying yes to Jesus and saying, God, just like Thomas, the choice that he had, he chose to lean in even when he didn't know. Will you raise your hand this morning? We've got people that want to pray for you as we invite you into this community of grace. God will be your best yes. I know people who have followed him can attest to that. If that's you. Tell somebody this morning. Let them know, hey, I want to say my yes to Jesus. And just like Thomas, don't do it alone. Go back, find community, do it with people around you. And the second one is this. People who are looking to see Jesus amidst their, all their doubt. The suicide, the suicide rate in the holiday season is usually through the roof, right? Because it's when people feel most isolated. It's when people feel the most alone. If you're feeling doubt, if you have questions in your heart, if you're looking, it blessed are you because you're searching for them here. My prayer is that God would show you Himself, that he would reveal himself to you when you're doubting and you're wondering because he said you were blessed for looking to him and still believing. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. And I would just ask that as we sit in this room, as we face this holiday season, as we think about everything that's going on in the midst of our lives, that we would encourage each other to be a community grace. If you feel comfortable, will you put a hand on the person beside you? Even if you don't know them, you're close friends now. I would just ask that we'd all pray together today to be strengthened during this season. Strengthened in our doubts and strengthened in courage to live out what he's called us to. God, I thank you so much so we can be in this room. I thank you so much so we can even gather here on a Sunday morning. God, I just want to say a prayer. God, for anyone in the room that said yes this morning to who God is, God, build them up in this community of faith. Don't let them do it alone. God, let them tell somebody and give them the courage to do it. It's exciting to be, stepped, to be accepted in the community of Jesus. All are welcome. God, I want to pray for the people that are facing doubt. I think we've all been through seasons of doubt. I want to attest that if you've lived long enough, this life gets confusing. But God, I pray that there would be great courage among your people today. God, reveal yourself to them wherever you're at. Show them, Lord, the faith that you are instilling inside of them. Reveal themselves, reveal yourself to them that they would seek you, that they would know you, that they would feel loved, that they would feel safe, that they would feel known. We ask you for all these things. We ask as we go out into our community today, there would be lights in the darkness. No matter where we find ourselves this holiday season, God, that you give us the courage to live like you've called us to. In your name, amen.